This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. The Auditor General Bonnie Lysak today, Provincial Auditor General Bonnie Lysak today, delivered, I think a scathing blow is not an overstatement. I'll ask my guest in just a moment here. But the Kathleen uh, Wynne Liberals got smacked a little bit when the Auditor General filed a 27-page report today taking issue with the government's accounting of what they proposed in their budget that they gave us, what, a couple weeks ago? You'll recall that back then, when that budget was announced, they changed course. They had originally said they were going to balance the books. Now they say they will be running a deficit because there are some things that just had to be done and they will cost us more money. It's here where things get a little squirrely because Bonnie Lysak says the deficit that the Liberals will be running will be $11.7 billion, not $6.7 billion that the Liberals proposed. And then next year, she says it'll be $12.2 billion rather than the $6.6 that Finance Minister Charles Souza forecast. And then if you go one more to 2020, it'll be $12.5 billion deficit, not $6.5 billion. So as I hear all this, I start to wonder, is this a big deal or is this simply a disagreement over accounting practices or something else along those lines. Well, I can I know someone who knows this stuff. Uh, his name is Steve Pakin. He's the host of The Agenda on TVO. He's a Hamilton guy, and if you want to know something or anything about politics in this province, he is the man to go to. He joins us now. Steve, thanks for doing this tonight. That is a very generous introduction. I hope I live up to it. Hi, Scott. Nice to be with you again. Well, and by the way, before we get into this, you're going to the Dome tonight. You're going to see the Jays. you got the Leafs, you got the Raptors, you got TFC, and you've chosen <laughs> the Jays. Was this pre-planned, or was this like, ah, oh, forget the others. Uh, I like baseball. Uh, like Bill Kelly, I'm a huge Red Sox fan, and so months ago I got tickets for tonight's game, not realizing it would coincide <laughs> with Game 7 of the Leafs. So bad planning on my part. Uh, well, you, can be, you can be sure I'm going to be keeping an eye on the Blackberry during the baseball game now. Uh, let's go to Kathleen Wynn and to, Kath, uh, to Bonnie Lysak for a sec. They have a, a complicated relationship, shall we say. Um, how big a deal is this? When this comes out today, you hear this. What's your initial response on how big a deal this might be? Well, the initial response is it's unprecedented, but let's not exaggerate the unprecedentedness of it. Uh, here's the background, Scott. Um, I, it was during Dalton McGuinty's time as Premier of Ontario, so we're going back, I think, about 10 years now. And uh, the McGuintyites had made a decision that uh, because when they came into power in 2003, uh, no one was quite sure what the state of the books of the province was during the transition from the Conservatives to the Liberals, the Liberals passed a new law saying in order to make sure that everybody starts election season on the same footing, we're going to have the Auditor General, who is a neutral uh, third-party observer of the province's finances, we're going to have her go over the state of the books and issue a report before the election campaign so everybody knows what the state of the books is. So the fact that Bonnie Lissick is actually doing this, the Auditor General, it's because of a law the Liberals passed about 10 or 12 years ago. So that's number one. So we haven't got too much history to look at here in terms of how unprecedented this is. The fact of the matter is, in the, in the two or three elections in the past where the Auditor General has weighed in on the state of the books going into an election campaign, uh, he or she never has said uh, the assumptions of the province, the books of the province are not reasonable at the moment. So that is definitely new and noteworthy. Uh, you may have a follow-up question, which then goes something like, so what's the nature of the disagreement and how outraged should we be? Right. Is this simply an accounting difference of opinion or is this an actual thing? Uh, it, uh, as always in politics, where you stand depends on where you sit. Right. 
Uh, Bonnie Lissick is a person with a considerable experience doing auditing of Province's books. She came here after having had a career uh, out west, uh, so she's not a newbie to this by any stretch of the imagination. And in her opinion, in her considered experienced opinion, uh, the, the province of Ontario has some problems right now. The Liberal government has some problems in the way it is uh, accounting for the finances of the province. The province, on the other hand, the government of Ontario, uh, anticipating this and having had run-ins with the Auditor General about bookkeeping in the past, hired a group of Bay Street consulting firms, accounting firms, and said, you take a look at it and you tell us what you think about how we're doing the books. This is like KPNG and Ernst & Young, these kinds of companies. And they did. And they came back with a report that said, what we have here is an honorable disagreement, but the government of Ontario, the Liberal Party's uh, way of doing the books is acceptable. So yes, it is an unprecedented situation, but it is also a dispute among accountants about what should count and what shouldn't count when you're trying to figure out the debt and deficit of the province. Does that make it clear as mud? It does, In but what I want to come back and talk about is there's a couple of things here, but one of them is a, a disagreement, as you describe, is one thing. We're talking about a lot of money, though, in that disagreement. Oh, yeah. There is a chasm between one side and the other. I want to talk about that when we return. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Chatting with Steve Pakin from TVO's The Agenda, the voice on provincial politics in Ontario, about this report that came out today from Bonnie Lissick, the uh, Auditor General, saying the Liberals' dollar figures for a deficit don't match up with hers, and what she's seeing is a much, much bigger deficit than what they're proposing. And Steve, I think that part really is where this thing becomes difficult or challenging, or I don't know what the right word is, because if there was a a gap of even, say, a billion dollars, maybe we say, okay, you know what, one way or the other. We're seeing all 75% over the next two years, almost a hundred percent difference in what they are, the two sides are seeing for what the deficit will be. Quite right. And most of the reason is it really comes down to two different things. Um, I'm going to try to stay out of the weeds here and, and make this as simple as possible because it is kind of complicated accounting principles that the disagreement is over. Uh, here we go. Number one, Ontario power generation. You know that we are all paying on average uh, 25 to 30% lower electricity prices right now because the government of Ontario, the Liberals in their wisdom, decided that they were really hearing a lot of complaints from people all over the province. And so what they decided to do is have Ontario power generation, basically the people who keep the lights on, uh, borrow billions and billions of dollars, 19 billion in effect, over the next many decades, uh, and have that money be on their books as opposed to the province of Ontario's books the result of that will be, yes, we're getting cheaper electricity prices, but because of the cost of borrowing money, OPG is going to have to pay back $40 billion four decades from now, no doubt helped by the taxpayers in the meantime. But the bottom line is, the government of Ontario says, that money's not on our books, that's on OPG's books. The Auditor General of Ontario, Bonnie Lissick, is saying, well, come on now. Uh, that's really uh, money that the province is backstopping. Uh guaranteeing that it be paid back and therefore it really should be on your books and that's why i'm counting it against you again when you're dealing with so many billions and billions of dollars that's why the chasm between the two sides is so big there's a similar dispute about pension money the ontario teachers pension plan and again without getting into the weeds on this the auditor general has one interpretation about whether monies ought to be included on the books the province has a different idea 
And so, I mean, you gave the numbers at the very beginning here. As a result, the two sides are, I mean, basically they're 100% apart on, on what the province, what the government of Ontario really owes and what ought to be included on its books. That's the gist of the dispute. So clearly when you hear these numbers, when this comes out today, I am sure that in the liberal rooms, meeting rooms, there are groans and, and probably some anger. In the conservative meeting rooms, in Doug Ford's camp, they are probably looking at this as there are big political points to be scored here. What about, though, with Andrea Horvath? And the reason I ask that is because her programs... Doug Ford is going to say, look, the province can't afford any of this stuff. Kathleen Wynne will say, yes, Andrea Horvath's programs are also going to cost money that she's proposed. Can she score any points off of this politically? Well, you know, you're, you're asking me to predict the future. And, uh, you know, as, as savvy as I think I am on this stuff, I still can't do that. But let's, <laughs> but let's, let's state what we do know. What we do know is that the fiscal program that the Liberals have put forward over the next seven years calls for some pretty significant deficit spending. The NDP, in its plan, which it unveiled last week, also has deficits going forward. I think they've planned them out for about five years going forward. But the deficits are only about half as big as the Liberals. So, yes, they would run deficits over the next five years, as would the Liberals, but smaller deficits. My bigger question about all of this is I I know people who really follow this stuff very carefully and they care desperately about, you know, who do you agree with, the province of Ontario or the Auditor General of Ontario? And there will be honorable people who will disagree about how this ought to work out. My hunch, however, is that uh, what this does is bake in what you already think about the both sides. So if you're inclined not to like the liberals, you will use the Auditor General's report today and say, aha, see, told you. They can't, uh, you know, they spend like a bunch of drunken sailors. They can't keep close tabs on the books. And the debt and deficit are, are even worse than we already thought. If, on the other hand... Uh, you kind of support the Liberals, you're likely to say, oh, there she goes again. The Auditor General is picking on us. Uh, the Auditor General, um, despite a report from reputable Bay Street firms, is disagreeing with them, and she's uh, a lone wolf going off in another direction again. So whether this actually moves any votes, I don't know that we can say that, Scott. I think what it may do is sort of entrench whatever opinion you already have about both sides in this dispute. Okay, now I, I, I heard what you just said about not being able to predict the future, and yet I'm going to ask you to do it again, only in this manner. Is there any doubt that this, though, becomes a central point of the election now, that this auditor's report is going to be pointed to constantly by the Conservatives to just show how out of control the province's budget is? I think we can reliably say yes. I, I, I have no doubt in saying that anything of interest that happens well, listen, go back a few months, go back a few years, but certainly starting now, given that May 9th the election is going to be called. So certainly anything of, of you know, anything that's this newsworthy, uh, you can bet these are going to end up in 30-second ads on television at some point. You can bet they're going to be exploding on social media at some point, if not already. So I don't have any hesitation in predicting that, but that's going to be the case for everything that comes forward. I mean, we've already seen the liberal ads on TV about Doug Ford and about what cuts he intends yeah. to make and where's he going to find the $4 billion and, you know, as Jerry Seinfeld would say, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> now the, the Tories and the Democrats and Greens are going to come back after the Liberals on this Auditor General's report, so let the festivities begin. Steve, I only have 30 seconds, sadly, but just, is it my bad recollection, or I don't remember a provincial election being this heated, this far ahead of an election actually being called. Am I wrong, or is this unusual? Your memory is absolutely fine, and I would say that uh, I cannot recall going into a campaign this far in advance of the campaign even being called such polarized 
uh, choices in an election campaign. The choices have never been starker, which is going to make covering this campaign very interesting. That is Steve Pakin. You can see him on TVO with the agenda. Steve, appreciate the time. Enjoy the game tonight. Try and keep that battery backed up on the BlackBerry because you're going to need it tonight. There's a lot going on. Appreciate the time. You bet, Scott. Thanks a lot. That is uh, Steve Pakin, as I say, one of Hamilton's great media folks. There's a lot of people from this city that have gone on and done great things in the media. Steve is certainly at the top of that list. But that is something that has maybe it's dawned on you. It certainly dawned on me. I don't recall an election campaign, not even in the campaign yet, being this fired up ever this far in advance of it. And this report today, you're going you're to read about this tomorrow. You're going to hear about this tomorrow in the news uh, if you haven't heard a lot about it today. Huge dispute about how much in debt, how much deficit, if the Liberals were to win again, we're going to go into. Huge disagreement on this because we're talking huge dollars. And I agree with Steve, whichever side you're on, that's the side you're going to believe about this auditor's report. Your, your mind is likely not going to be changed by anything you hear today. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. For some of you, math was fantastic. Some of you it came so easily to. For others of us, not so much the English, the history, the, the, the what, what side of the brain. I don't even know. The opposite side of the brain. Well, if you have a child or a grandchild who is in school right now, elementary school, high school, you have probably been faced with helping them in math. That's what happens as a parent, as a grandparent. And that is tough on a good day, especially for those of us like me, like some of you, for whom math has always been a challenge. Your kids come home and suddenly you feel rather ridiculous because they're in grade five and you are pulling out your hair trying to do these math problems. Well, We know that the way math is being taught has been changed. There are new ways that kids are learning it, leaving many parents, many of us, many grandparents, many parents, scrambling to figure out not just how to do math in the first place, but now how to do math in a way that I don't understand even more than I didn't understand the old math. Well, I'm reasonably sure that out of all this, the school board has heard about this. I know the school board has heard about this. I know teachers have heard about it. I know superintendents have heard about it. I know principals have heard about it. Bill Torrens is the superintendent of program for the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. He joins me now. Uh, Bill, I'm pretty sure you've heard about this from parents and others, correct? Uh, I certainly have. (laughs) I would have been shocked if you hadn't because, I, I mean, this is one of those issues that just doesn't want to go away. Math is difficult for a lot of people at the best of times, let alone when you throw a few wrinkles into it. Uh, you know what? It, it, it's interesting you say that. I think, I think for a lot, of, uh, a lot of us, our, our memory of math is a lot of rote learning, a yep. lot of sitting in rows, doing uh, math sheets, or uh, I can even remember you know, sitting on a carpet and kind of chanting uh, early timetables. Um, <laughs> and... and and the math program looks radically different today because, you know, quite frankly, we're preparing our kids for a, a different world than, than we were raised in. And, and I think our community is a good example of that. Our, um, you know, my father was a steel worker here in Hamilton, and, and you could get uh, quite a, a respectable job with uh, quite limited education and, and academic skills. Today's economy and the economy and society of we're preparing our kids for between now and the next 10 to 15 years, it requires a completely different set of skills. And, and our math program is really working on 
trying to give them those skills, the critical thinking, the communication, um, problem-solving reasoning skills that, that will let them flourish in, the, in, in our new information society. As we dive into that, just before I do that, I bet you if I asked you right now, you could still do those times table chants, though. Well, you know what? That's the interesting thing. <laughs> I can't. You can't? Wow. I can. No, I absolutely oh, you can. can. Yes, you can. Yes. Those are those things that burn into your brain and never leave and pop up at weird times. But I think that makes me kind of strange. I'm not sure everyone's <laughs> like that necessarily. Oh, listen, I, I did it at the cottage one summer. I had to learn all my times tables, and my parents made me stay in the cottage until I had done a certain amount, and then I could go out and play again. So we've all been there. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's one of our misconceptions, and that is we still need our kids to know those tables and to be able to use them flexibly to solve more rich or real-life uh, problems or tasks and not just uh, do worksheets, and not just be able to master those kind of simple facts. Uh, and that's where, you know, when I, when I talk to parents, uh, that's, that's often where I start, which is, yeah, we need our kids. They still need to know the same basic facts, uh, procedures, how to do things. We want to give them additional strategies to use when they're faced with, with uh, absolutely new problems, new math tasks or problems or in a new situation. Because we know that in the real world, that's what you'll be confronted with. So that is a misconception, though, Bill. And that is, you're saying that kids today, it's not just the new math. They still need to know 8 times 8 off the top of their head without a calculator or their iPhone or whatever other. They need those basics. They should still know those things. We, we, still, want, we still want our kids to be really proficient with those facts. Math facts, we'll call them, or skills. You know, I'll go back to, we call them the times tables, your, your addition tables. And um, we still want them to be able to use them, but do you need to memorize them or do you need to have a variety of different ways to, to, to uh, answer questions? So an example I always use is, I know because I memorized it, 1313 times 13 is 169. But our math program today, we can also help kids with a variety of different strategies. They might know 10 times 13 is 130 and three times 13 is 39. I put them together. I have 169. So instead of memorizing that fact, I've used a different strategy to come to that same answer. And in, in, a, in a bigger scale, we want our kids to use those, um, I wouldn't call them workarounds, but use a variety of different strategies to find ways to solve the problems their teachers provide to them. How often, though, are you getting the question from people about why it is that we need to teach math differently as opposed to just saying, okay, let's just learn it? There must be people saying, why are we doing this? Well, there is. There, there can be. And, and, and I think the why is something that we as a school board are really we, we're working hard on. And it's one of the reasons we've put together um, uh, a new web page uh, on our main page devoted to, to helping parents with this, is that uh, when we think about our someone going into junior kindergarten uh, next September, they'll come out as a high school graduate in uh, probably 2032. 2033, um, and we really can't imagine what, uh, in any kind of detail, what the skills, what the economy, what the jobs really look like because of the rapid, rapid change in, in technology. And so what we need to do is make sure that they have, we provide them a basis with the ability to, to take those facts use them in different and new um, in new ways when they're confronted with new um, with new problems as I mentioned 
but they're also um, they're also able to communicate their learning and, and to work effectively. So when we start to talk about to the parents about the why, and that we haven't, um, and it is a misconception, we haven't abandoned, um, you know, some of those fundamental under, understanding the the facts fundamentally. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML. Talking math with Bill Thorns, a superintendent of program for the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, because, and I'm going to bring Bill back in here, uh, there is, and we all have seen the show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? And that somehow seems a little bit appropriate here because there are times you watch that show and the adults on there are thinking, man, I look like an idiot here because I don't know the answer. You come now to this new math. Parents have learned their times tables, done these other things. Now their kids are bringing home a different style of math, which is causing some confusion. So, Bill, you at the school board and others have come forward with now with this website with ideas and videos to help the parents. How, how is this? What what are these videos? What are these tools that are now available for parents to be able to keep up with their kids and help them? Um, well, thanks, Scott. Great question. We've we've developed this over the course of, of the we've developed a website over the course of this year, really to support parents in not only understanding the why of of math programming based in the Ontario curriculum, but also giving them some examples um, of new, um, I'm saying new, but it would be new to them, um, different strategies. So one of the videos, for example, really shows a group of kids learning together. um, And and unlike for us, um, math to us is a more collaborative learning process than it was um, 10, 15, 20 years ago, probably. Um, certainly um, uh, going back to when I was a student, where we have kids pro- collaboratively problem solving. So for parents, what we want them to understand is that, that if their child doesn't know their tables in the same way we did, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not achieving in math but we might have different strategies for them to come to the same answer when we ask them to do some division or multiplication, but they're also able to use them to use those skills or strategies we provide them, what we call them math processes. Um, we, they can use them in different ways. And I think when it comes to what um, the math learning that comes home often to parents, um, the, it, it's in a different format than what we're used to. And so what we're doing, and it's, it's a long-term project, and certainly the website's only the beginning, but um, it's engaging parents and having those conversations, our principals, our teachers, um, having, having conversations with parents about um, what their child is learning. Uh, certainly uh, part of the vision here is, is for this website to be used by classroom teachers um, to, share with, to share, with edu- uh, share with parents and, and caregivers. Um, to say this is what's happening in the grade two classroom right now, and 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 here's a, a couple ways that this learning would would be happening. And, and I mean, the parent obviously can't be in the classroom, and so if you're introducing a completely new style of something the parent hasn't seen before, this makes a lot of sense to want to do. Now, the one part about this, this does require, or or this does rely, I guess, on the parents being engaged in this process to help their kids at home. Oh, we do. We. We, we hope all of our parents, and, and certainly we believe all of our parents, are, are engaged in, in, their, in their child's learning. And we know that um, engaged parents and engaged parenting really helps kids flourish in schools. Um, 
and it, that's part of our um, our obligation, our professional obligation, is to engage with parents and and uh, about what what is happening in the classroom. And so this is a real commitment on our part. We're we're actually um, also in the process of uh, creating some of these materials so they are in a variety of languages other than English to reach our broad and diverse Hmm. uh, language community here in Hamilton. I mean, that's an interesting point because I I know that having... um read a number of things about EQAO scores and areas and, and neighborhoods that traditionally or often the more well-off neighborhoods tend to have higher EQAO scores. And a lot of the time, part of that is being pointed to as those have parents who have high expectations or who are very involved. Others who are maybe new immigrants or whatever, they may have to have two or three jobs and can't do as much. So uh, it, it's a tool, I guess, that you're adding to maybe help some of those people who are new to the country or not as familiar. I, you know, I, I've worked extensively in English as a second language, and 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 uh, it's been my experience that that uh, parent newcomer parents have the same high expectations. What what is often in the way over time uh, is that the acquisition students acquiring English to so it's not their ability to actually do the work through the curriculum, but they're not at a ready state in terms of English, just as we wouldn't be if we were suddenly moved to a, to another country where we weren't strong with strong with the language. But over time, we find our, our data tells us that our English language learners actually um, do well once they've acquired acquired English. It is, uh, it is an interesting thing. If someone who was not necessarily even a parent wanted to see what you're sending home and see this new map, is there a website? Is the site available to someone else to take a look at? Absolutely, it's on our it's uh, on our main website www.hwdsb.on.ca/backslash/mathhelp. Simple. And uh, it's open to the public. And uh, certainly, we've linked into um, ministry resources, uh, other community resources. For uh, there's an extensive um, number of of links for parents. The uh, TV Ontario has a math help. Uh, after-school online math help for grades 7 through 10 uh, that many of our students um, uh, use, sometimes with their parents or sometimes to support themselves. And we, we heavily promote, promote that. And, and as we were talking about, lots of information explaining the why of, of the Ontario curriculum in terms of math. Bill Torrens, Superintendent of Program for the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. Sir, thank you for your time tonight. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Take care now. That is, uh, look, it's, there's still going to be those who are very confused and have very strong opinions on whether we should be doing this new math or whether we should just be building on the foundations of solid math. That's a discussion that we can have for another day. But as long as this, as long as this is what's going to happen, seems like a smart plan to give parents some examples so the parents aren't completely befuddled when the math comes home and they have no idea what they're doing with this. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Once a week, we gather up some of the oddest stories of the week, and we present them to you, and Ben chooses which one is his story of the day. You can play along at home as well. You can send me a note which one would be your story of the day if you were voting on this, radley at 900chml.com. But I go back first. When we start off tonight, let's keep that song, Land Down Under, in mind. Because this week, a, uh, a 12-year-old boy from Australia went missing. Which, I mean, I, I've had kids. I have kids. 
They are now older than 12. I would be, everyone would be, in a complete and utter panic if your 12-year-old went missing. Nothing funny about that. Nothing hilarious about a 12-year-old missing from home. That would be terrifying. This, however, because everything ends well, we can talk about it today. Because a boy, a 12-year-old from Sydney got into a, I guess, a pretty good fight with his mom. They had a bit of a go-to. I don't know what it was about. Uh, But when mom turned around, I don't know what she did after the fight. A 12-year-old boy from Sydney went into his mom's purse, took her credit card, somehow got himself to the airport, bought a ticket for Bali, (laughs) flew to Bali, and... Uh, and ended up staying in the All Seasons Hotel in Bali. You know, it's one thing to find your missing 12-year-old down the street or at a friend's house. This 12-year-old booked a flight, flew for hours, and now was having a resort vacation on his mom's credit card. Now, you can, of course, track your kid down when bills start popping up from an entirely different country. I'm not exactly sure whether this kid is the world's biggest brat or the world's biggest 12-year-old genius. I mean, half of me has to say, pretty clever of the kid in a weird kind of disturbing kind of way. Doesn't say here how much the whole thing cost. But, okay, so there's your your precocious 12-year-old who has figured out how to fly internationally after a fight with mom. That's story number one today. Story number two. Involves a woman named Crystal Tadlock from Colorado. She was flying from Paris to, where was she flying to? She was flying from, uh, she left from Paris. She was flying to the States and then on to Denver to her final stop or just landed somewhere. Anyway, uh, she had to switch planes When she had been on the flight from Paris to Denver, Paris to Minneapolis, here it is, where she first went, they served in a little plastic bag, they served slices of apples. I guess the, the, the flight that she was on, that's what they serve as a little onboard snack. Well, she wasn't hungry for a sliced apple at that moment. So she tucked it into her carry-on bag thinking, I'll have this on my connecting flight. No problem. I'll keep this until later on, and I will just dine on my sliced apple later. Well, when she went to go through customs, once she arrived home, the customs agent asked if she had any fresh fruit or vegetables that she was transporting, and she had completely forgotten about the little slice. It was a slice of apple. And the customs, she says no. So they searched her bag, found the slice of apple, and fined her $500 for having a slice of of apple in her bag that was given to her by the airline. But because she forgot to claim it at customs or eat it. See, would it have been better if it had been in her belly? Could you have claimed it? Anyway, $500 for transporting a slice of an apple. And story number three tonight comes to us from Brownsville, Texas, where a Texas man was sentenced to 50, 50, 50, 50 years in prison this week for stealing $1.2 million worth of fajitas over the last nine years. He works at a jail and he would have, now I guess they pre-make their fajitas because he would have fajitas delivered to the jail where he would intercept the deliveries and then sell them to customers on the public dime. 
and he finally got caught because he called in sick one day and an 800 pound fajita delivery showed up at the prison and they said we don't do fajitas here and they said well we've been delivering them here for the last nine years and he was busted 1.5 million dollars of that's a lot of fajitas that is a lot of fajitas that got the guy 50 years in prison for theft so ben do we like the 12 year old boy who got in a fight with mom left sydney australia with his mom's credit card and went to bali for a beach vacation do we like the woman charged 500 dollars for an apple slice that she was given by an airline and then busted for carrying off the airline or a 1.2 million dollars worth of fajita thief who's going to prison for 50 years what is ben's story of the day today ben's story of the day is half it has to be the fajita thief because well i love fajitas who doesn't this man 800 pounds of 800 fajitas or 800 800 pounds pounds, and that's just one delivery he's been doing this for nine years that's a lot of fajitas he uh he needs an award of some sort in addition to his 50-year sentence i hope they serve him fajitas in his prison he must love fajitas that would be cruel and unusual punishment if there was no fajitas available for him now after all this you think he might be able to find a way to get an order from inside his cell yeah maybe we will we'll i'm sure we'll find out about it you're listening to the scott radley show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 chml i wasn't sure what to do to be honest in this segment tonight in the in the little in the time at right after seven o'clock and i'll tell you why because as you've probably been hearing throughout the day today, this is one of the most unbelievably densely packed, ridiculous sports days in Southern Ontario, in the Toronto area, which extends into Hamilton, in the Southern Ontario region. There have been, there may not have been a day like this before. Toronto Maple Leafs have a game seven tonight. They're either moving on to the next round or they're done for the year. Toronto Raptors have a Game 5 playoff game tonight. It's not over if they lose, but if they lose, they got to go back to Washington where they've lost twice. They kind of have to win. This is an enormous game for the Raptors. TFC, the soccer team, are playing the second leg of their CONCACAF Club Championship down in Guadalajara. The Toronto Marlies are playing tonight in a playoff game. And the Toronto Blue Jays down at the Dome are playing the Boston Red Sox, their longtime rival. There's only been, apparently, six times that TFC, Raptors, Jays, and Leafs have all played on the same night. And never before have there been this many significant playoff implications going on. So what I realized today was, well, at 7 o'clock tonight, there's not much sense talking about sports this evening. Or any, you know, not even bringing it up because if you are a diehard sports fan, I mean, I'm a realist. I would love for you to be here, but I'm a realist. I know that there are people who are going to be watching the Leafs. We love that you're back here every other day. I get it. I understand. It's game seven or something else. I get it. So I thought, well, what are we going to do? What What's the opposite of sports? And I started to think, I don't know, what is the opposite of sports? What can we talk about? Because the people who are listening tonight, I'm assuming are the people who are not, at this point, diehard sports fans. I'm assuming that most of the people who are tuned in this evening, this evening, every other night, that's fine, but this evening, I'm assuming the people who are listening are probably not the diehardest of sports fans, because if they are, they are off watching the Leafs, the Raptors, the Jays, TFC, something else. So what is the opposite of sports? And I don't know what the answer to that is. 
I thought I would do something on the opposite of sports, but I can't really figure out what the opposite of sports is. I mean, is it entertainment? Well, no, sports kind of is entertainment. Is it academia? Maybe, but I'm not really sure that's an opposite. I mean, people say, what's the opposite of English? Is it French? Is French the opposite of English? I don't know. Not really. Is a car the opposite of a motorcycle? Not really. Anyway, so what was the opposite of sports? I don't know. But I then I thought, okay, all right, if I can't do the opposite of sports because... I don't really know what that would be. Then what about those who hate sports? There's got to be people out there who truly hate sports, who are looking at today's possibilities on TV in the world around and saying, my goodness, this is like the worst thing ever. I hate sports and everything is about sports. There's got to be people who really just chafe at the whole sports thing. Well, you know what? It turns out there are. And I, I mean, I, obviously there were going to be some, but not just that there are. There are some who hate sports in an organized fashion. They don't just want to not watch sports. They don't want you to watch sports. They don't want anyone to watch sports. They, there is a group called the International I Hate Sports Club, whose motto is they are dedicated to the eradication of sports. They don't think there should be no sports ever. And I tried to get them on tonight. I thought, what a perfect night for the international I Hate Sports Club to come on this show. They would be preaching to the choir because probably most of the people listening this evening here on the Scott Radley Show are the non-sports fans this evening because the sports fans have gone off to listen or watch something else. Brilliant idea, I thought. But apparently, the International I Hate Sports Club is also the international not really wanting to get a lot of publicity or be humorous or have some fun with this club because I couldn't get them to come on. They decided that because, I guess, as I understand their email, because I, in my day job, am a sports columnist, this would go against their philosophy of helping professional sports somehow or the world of sports. So they decided they did not want to come on the show tonight. But I thought I would go through their position, their philosophy, because I thought this was interesting tonight. For the people who are working for the, and now I, I, by the way, I assume this is tongue in cheek. Somewhat, somewhat, not completely. I, I mean, I believe that they really hate sports. I no doubt about that. But the philosophy that they have, I believe there is a measure of tongue-in-cheekness about this. I have to believe that. Here is their philosophy. It is a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 13 point position that is their philosophy. So if you are someone who hates sports, I'd love to know if you could find yourself adhering to these positions. If these positions resonate with you as someone who is not a sports fan, would you buy into this? Or are you, yeah, I'm not a fan, but I don't hate sports. I don't really want no one to be able to watch or participate. So here's here's where we are. Position number one from the International I Hate Sports Club dedicated to the eradication of sports. We believe it is evident, number one, that sports fans have clay tapioca straw, and they scratched out and just said mush for brains. Basically, sports fans are idiots. If you like sports, you're a doofus. You've got mush for brains. Number one, agree, disagree. They'll put a little check mark beside that, all right? There you go. Number two. We believe it is evident that sports are boring 
and and that's in boldface and all caps, are boring. Maybe I should do it like that. We believe that sports are boring and far too much airtime is wasted on covering them. Our goal is to completely eradicate any trace of sports programming from the public airwaves. Agree? Disagree? Abstain. You can keep track of your checklist at home as we play along here as we go through their list. Number three. We believe it is evident that sports teams are not required fixtures at school. They have nothing, again boldface, to do with learning. In other words, schools should not be having sports as part of the school experience, that that money and that time and those efforts could go into other things. Sports have nothing to do with education or learning. Number four. We believe it is evident that sports scholarships defeat the ideal and purpose of education. We support college admission based on scholastic merit only and believe college sports are a witless distraction. Still playing along with here? You still checking off your list? What do you think about this? What do you think about those suggestions so far? You can call, by the way. You'd love to hear from you. Rather, or, uh, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Are you believing? Are you agreeing with the international I Hate Sports Club dedicated to the eradication of sport with all these positions that they are holding. Number five, we believe it is evident students involved with sports should not be given special treatment. All right. That one, actually, even I think a lot of people who love sports would say, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that one. Uh, here we go. Number six, we believe that it is evident that being here now, get ready for this one. If you are a bit of a sports fan, you may be interested in this one. We believe that being addicted to watching sports is as abhorrent a practice as being a sexual voyeur. We believe people should take responsibility for their lives. If they like sports, they should play them, not watch others. If you watch sports, you are no different than a pervert watching other people have sex. Well, that's a strong statement, isn't it? I mean, it's not exactly the same, is it? I don't think. I don't know. Love to hear what you think about this one. That you watching someone else play tennis or play hockey or play basketball is no different than you watching someone else, you know, do their thing might be a small stretch, but this is their position. We're, we're just re- relaying their position. We continue on from the International I Hate Sports Club. We believe it is evident that liking or disliking sports has nothing to do with one's gender or sexual orientation. Being a sports fan does not make you a man. Well, I would agree generally with that. There are many sp- female sports fans. I don't think they want to be men. We shall continue. We believe it is evident that organized sports are a magnet for bullies and that participation in them is not necessary for a child to develop a sense of fair play or teamwork. Sports are a magnet for bullies. All the bullies out there find their way to sports just so they can pick on the weaker kids who also play sports. We believe it is evident that physical activity is good and it's okay to play sports if you enjoy them. So don't play sports and use your free time if you don't like what you're doing. Editor's note, added by me. Also, don't beat yourself over the head with a sledgehammer if you're not having fun doing it. I think that kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? Okay. 
we believe it is evident that identifying oneself with a professional or college team, in other words, being a fan of a pro or college or some other team, is no substitute for actual achievement in life. So if you follow a team or if you're a fan of a team, there should be no pride in that. You are a bit of a loser. You should actually achieve something, not just follow along and be part of that. We believe, this is, by the way, again, the International I Hate Sports Club's dedication to the eradication of sports philosophy, their position on a day when literally everything is going on in the world of sports. And so we thought, oh, well, let's um, let's talk to the people who probably aren't watching it, who are still with us tonight. Uh, see if you, as the non, I'm assuming, diehard sports fans, if you agree with any of these. We believe that athletes receive far too much recognition for far too little achievement. Yes? No? We believe it is evident that professional sports are not profitable and are a drain on public treasuries. See, now that one's a tricky one because they are profitable. Almost every professional sports team is profitable, but nonetheless. And finally on their list of 13 things, we do. We believe it is evident that people who don't like watching sports should not have to subsidize the broadcasting of sports on cable TV. What do you think of this philosophy? Is this a philosophy you could buy into? Is this one you could latch onto and say, I agree with these people, or are these just sour, bitter, humorless people who sound like they did not have a solid or a good experience with sports once upon a time and are now rancid toward the whole thing and want to ruin it for everyone else. Frank joins me on the line tonight. Frank, how are you tonight? I'm fine, uh, Scott. You hit on a real good one here. i got to be fast because i got a TV ready to turn on with popcorn. <laughs> and uh, Sorry, I don't want to make you feel sorry. but That's okay. What a dull life someone must lead. And that, that philosophy, if you want to call it that, or belief, uh, people like do they they'd have to like sport because they got to watch the news and, and sport is the news as well wouldn't you say well no they I'm sure based on this They'll they would off? they would turn the channel based on this they hate sports their club is called the international okay, I, I, I hate I, sports club no no maybe maybe my analogy is a little bit too off target there they don't want to watch sport they're not against they're against sport interrupting their normal lives in the actual game or play or whatever it may be uh, I'll just say I feel sorry for them if they've never had a chance to enjoy the, the Olympic Games or enjoy some complete competition between two opposite ends that are not battling so much for as a threat to one another in, in, in a, like a life threat, but for just being coming in, in, a, in a game of skill. Frank, I, 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 see, I disagree with him too, but listen, I, I appreciate your call. Thanks for the call tonight. Enjoy the game tonight. Welcome. Always nice listening to you. Uh, it, is, um, it is an interesting one here. The International I Hate Sports Club on a day when there are the Leafs in Game 7, the Raptors in Game 5, TFC playing in the second leg of their CONCACAF Club Championship, the Blue Jays playing their rivals in Boston, the Toronto Marlies having a playoff game. It is complete sporting chaos. Downtown Toronto tonight is mayhem. It is mayhem down there. Everything is going on. And those of you who are listening... And I love you for still listening. I love you. I would come and shake every one of your hands and say thank you. Tonight, though, I i mean, I'm a realist. I understand that some people have probably moved along because they want to get to these games because they're huge and they're involving and they're emotionally gripping and all these kind of things. Unless you're a member 
of the International I Hate Sports Club, in which case, well, I don't know what you're doing tonight. What would you be doing? What, again, what's the opposite of sports? I'm not really sure what the opposite of sports is. Yeah, Ben has got his fingers in his ears saying, la, 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 la. I'm not going to watch any sports. I'm not going to hear any sports. Ben, I mean, do you look at this and say, these are people with a well-thought-out, well-constructed point of view, or do you think, you know, some of these people sound to me like they're just kind of dour? Some of them have some legitimate grounds that their ideas are standing upon. Others, I just have one question. What's your damage? See, I agree with them on a couple of these. Uh, and this is their their 13-point philosophy, it seems. I agree with them. The students involved with sports should not be given special treatment. I agree with that. That's a good one. That's, that is one that I, I, I'm buying into. Uh, I would argue that uh, physical activity is good and it's okay to play sports if you enjoy them. I would say that too seems to me to be a good position to hold. Sports, physical activity? Yeah, we want. We don't want kids all getting fat and getting diabetes. We want them out there playing. And what are they going to play? Well, usually some kind of sport. Now, it doesn't have to be. It could be tag. It could be kick the can. could be, can you still play cops and robbers? Are you allowed to do that? Because once upon a time you could, but now you run around the neighborhood with a fake gun and probably you're going to have the SWAT team on your street because someone will say, Charlie, nine-year-old kid, he's got daddy's gun. That would not go well, but I don't know. You're doing something. Rob joins me on the line. Rob, how are you tonight? I'm not too bad, you? I'm great, thanks. You uh, Go ahead. What's, uh, are you heading, first of all, are you going to be heading to watch some sports later on tonight? Uh, I actually am not. Okay. But I might have an interesting point of view on this whole thing. Hit me with it. To, I was kind of listening to it going, huh. So I grew up myself in a, in a family household that were farmers that had no use for sports because there's work to be done outside. So I had no introduction. I had no reference to sports. Uh, by the time I was 30 years old, I, I didn't understand how the game of football ran or basketball. And I, I, too, was not interested in sports. And I maybe shared some of those opinions, not as strong as they did, but I just wasn't interested in watching them. It wasn't until I had a kid uh, and my wife was into sports. And, you know, I was all about going skiing and doing individual things. But it wasn't until I saw... Uh, what sports did for kids in terms of uh, it was interesting that they said they have no place in school because I believe they have every place in school because it's all about learning camaraderie and teamwork and and what it means to work with other people and and I started to see the value in that it was through that myself I, I got introduced to to uh, basketball particularly uh, but it turned my whole reference around so my my opinion is is probably a lot of those people in that club never had exposure you know, it's a fabulous point you raise because my wife was much the same. My wife was not a huge sports fan until my son began to play hockey and play baseball. Exactly. And she became a huge hockey fan and a huge baseball fan through him. The door, he opened the door by watching exactly. him play. It's a great point. And I bet you there's an awful lot of people like you, Rob. I bet you there really are. who, Or, or even if you liked sports didn't necessarily like the particular sport until your kid played it, and suddenly you're a soccer fan or you're a whatever else. I think you're bang on. You know, it's what you have reference to. If you know, Nobody can sit and watch something they don't understand or, or have uh, any reference to, you know. And uh, But I think the value of sports, uh, you know, is, is uh, 
it's huge. It, it, what it does for a kid's character growing up and all that sort of thing, I, I mean, I think they're missing that whole boat. But, you know, to be honest, I might not have had that opinion either if I didn't have a kid who went into sports. And my kid went into rep sports, and I went in full bore with them. But I needed to have that experience to get there. Rob, I really appreciate the call. Thanks for that. Talk to you later. That is, uh, I think that's a terrific point, and, and I don't, anyway, I, um, I looked these people up today because I was looking for someone to help me explain or to figure out what was the opposite of sports on a night when everything was about sports. Couldn't figure out what the opposite was, couldn't get them to come on the show, but I thought their, their positions, their philosophy, their manifesto was rather interesting. I don't agree with 95% of it, but I do agree with a couple points, but here's one sports are boring is one of their with capital. See whether or not you are a big fan of a certain team or not. That's one thing that I would argue up and down and back and forth. There are boring games, but I have said this many, many times before, and I'll close with this on this segment. If you look at what are, pick the 10, let's say, I don't know what the, I haven't counted the 10, but let's say pick the 10 moments in Canadian history when more Canadians were united into something than any other. The 10 times that we felt the most Canadian, the most patriotic, the most connected, the most communal, that everyone's eyes were on the same thing. And you want to know what almost all of them were? Well, one of them was the referendum under Jean Chrétien a few years ago when the country might have split apart. Everybody was watching that. But after that, what are the moments when everybody was on the same page in this country? Paul Henderson in 1972. Wayne Gretzky to Mario Lemieux in 1987. Sidney Crosby in 2010. Ben Johnson until he got stripped of the medal. Donovan Bailey winning the gold medal and and then the 4 by 100 team under him. Joe Carter hitting well, catching the ball at first base against Atlanta and then hitting the home run for the Blue Jays to win the World Series. What am I forgetting? They're all sports, though. These are all sports moments. These are the things that have held the country, not held the country together, that may be an overstatement, but brought the country together at times. I'm not sure that you can argue that it's boring or, well, you can argue it. You can argue it. I just, the international I hate sports club, you know what I think they need? They need a, 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 someone's got to buy them some tickets and popcorn and a beer and take them to a game. And you know what'll happen? They'll be like Rob. Suddenly they'll find out, you know, this is actually kind of okay. This is kind of fun. Maybe I have to drop out of this club. Maybe I have to rescind my membership. Stop being part of this thing and try sports. Anyway, I know that most of the people listening tonight, I'm guessing at this point, as I say, are not the diehard sports fans. We love having you along as well. You don't have to love sports. You don't have to love sports. I just, I thought this was interesting today. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.